Uh, well, good morning, everybody. Um, good morning to those of you tuning in online. If, if you are looking around and you don't see someone that you normally see, uh, I would just encourage you, not right now, please, uh, but text them after the service. Tell them you missed them. Check in on them. Uh, we have some who uh, are COVID positive among us, uh, and so pray for them. You don't have to know who they are, right? Just pray for them. Uh, it continues to be a slog, particularly for those in the healthcare industry. Uh, and so pray for uh, Mackenzie and pray for James and Katie Beth and pray for Brittany, uh, pray for Kathleen. I know you don't, may not murmur all those names, but pray for those among us who serve in that industry. Uh, they're tired, as you can imagine. So as I thought about Sabbath this week, I was thinking about them uh, in particular uh, to rest. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Jonathan Winfrey, one of the pastors here at Redeemer City. And we are on the last series, or excuse me, sermon in our series, uh, you have made it through all the habits of grace. We've hit them all. There are no more. Uh, except today. We haven't gotten to that one yet. We'll get to that one here in just a second. And as you can see in your worship folder, it's the Sabbath. Everyone's favorite. It's Drew's favorite so much that he's not here for it. He didn't want to hear what I had to say either. Um, no, but seriously, uh, we've spent most of the summer looking at how the habits, the habits of grace, these spiritual habits, form a trellis for us to grow on, a structure on which we can map a journey towards spiritual flourishing. And these habits of formation have been largely following a book called The Common Rule. I would commend that book to you. We have quoted from it. We've referenced it on our resource page. Hopefully, if you haven't picked it up, uh, you will get a chance to. Uh, incidentally, uh, the assurance of pardon was from Matthew chapter 11. Famous words, many of you have heard before, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And as you're leaving today, uh, on the left in the foyer, you'll see a basket with some books that are entitled Gentle and Lowly. And that is one long meditation on these verses from Dane Ortland, the writer of that book. We highly commend it to you. We commend it to you so much, we got a bunch of free copies, and we are giving them out to you. So take one, uh, but don't let it sit in your back seat and you know, roast in the sun. Take it home and read it, okay? Um, I want to begin with uh, two brief testimonials. These are two people in our church who allowed me to quote them, actually, in their own words, on things the Holy Spirit has been doing in their heart directly tied to the practices of this summer. So a lot of times you don't hear from real people, you just hear from the professional up here in front of you, right? He's not here today, and so I, I'm filling in for him, by the way. Uh, don't think that that's me. But uh, these both have mentioned how reading the scriptures before their phone as a habit has been formative, in particular this summer, as well as this habit of Sabbath funny enough, and rest. It's allowed them to slow down and allowed them to talk to their hearts and find joy and peace in the gospel. The first one said this, after a while, that is, they came with their family, they got really excited about community Bible reading, and then they said, after a while, I started craving more in-depth study, and I fell into the checklist trap of just rushing through the chapters to check off my CBR box for the day, so I quit. I've since just been skipping around, reading whatever I felt the Spirit was leading me to read and study 
but I've so missed the community aspect of community Bible reading. After listening to the latest podcast, it really encouraged me and renewed my vision for CBR. It made me realize and remember what I loved so much about this approach to reading scripture and sharing it with others. This morning, I went right to CBR before my phone, and it was so refreshing and rich. It truly felt like I had just had a good meal. Okay? Second testimony to encourage you is this. This person said, My desire to be protected and defended and understood is very misplaced in the human beings around me right now. Please pray for my heart. My anxiety has let lies take root in my heart about where my worth comes from. I know I have the ultimate defender and protector in Jesus, and he knows the depths of my own broken heart, the good intentions and the poor execution of those intentions at times. The Lord doesn't forget me or ever stop running after me. It shouldn't be so easy for things to control my emotions and my ability to see the truth of who he says I am. In the front of my Bible, I have written, quote, an anxious heart is a hearing heart. And I just want to rework my heart right now so I can really hear the people around me. I just want to have a hearing heart and I want to have the mentality of being the biggest sinner in the conversation. And I'm struggling with that right now because I feel like I'm going into self-protection mode and I'm asking the Lord to give me peace in knowing that I'm his. These are real words from real people. Okay? God is at work among us. So I hope you will take that as encouragement. So we've come to the Sabbath subject today. Uh, if you look in your worship folder, there's an insert. On one side are three passages, and on the other side is an outline. Let me begin with God's word. From Genesis chapter 2, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And then Mark chapter 3. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked at them with anger. Grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. And then lastly from Hebrews chapter 4, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith to those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is God's word. Uh, so you can see on the other side of the insert where we're going, the outline's printed for you there. We're going to look first at this problem of working, uh, but not really resting. What drives that? What are the issues that flow from it? Secondly, how the Sabbath is meant not as an oppressive rule, but as a means to freedom. And lastly, how uh, doing Sabbath with Jesus will give you true rest, and it will motivate you as well to give true rest to others, or at least begin uh, to 
create the circumstances or the environment for them to experience that. Sabbath is a habit of embrace. And Justin Early, the writer of The Common Rule, has distinguished between you've got habits of resistance and you've got habits of embrace. Sabbath is a habit of embrace. Sabbath is embracing that we are humans with limits. We're finite, not infinite. We don't plug in so that we can run or operate 24-7. And so we're asking you to embrace the habit of picking a 24-hour period of Sabbath. Now, uh, Drew's mentioned this a few times. I'll mention it too. We're, we're not speaking uh, as people who have perfected or who have arrived at these habits. Uh, my wife will tell you that very difficult for me to find a 24-hour period of Sabbath. Now, I have no problem finding a 24-hour period where I'm not at work, but I am outside most of the time, uh, or I find things in the yard to do, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes it's restful, sometimes it's not. Uh, but this is something in my own life that continues to be a wrestling for me. So I'm not speaking as a person who's figured it out, but as a person who, alongside of you, is hoping uh, by the Spirit's power uh, to move in a direction of faithfulness in greater and greater measure. Okay, so we're asking you, as we work through this, to embrace this habit, and you can find more in the Common Rule book. First, why is this habit of Sabbath and rest so elusive? Let me quote from Judith Shilovitz, uh, who is a writer. There is ample evidence, she says, that our relationship to work is out of whack. Ours is a society that pegs status to overachievement, we love to admire workaholics. Let me argue instead on behalf of an institution that has kept workaholism in responsible check for thousands of years. Most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. The inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was a much more complicated undertaking. You cannot downshift casually and easily. That's why the Puritan and Jewish Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional. The rules did not exist to torture the faithful. The rules existed and were meant to communicate the insight that interrupting the ceaseless round and round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of will, one that has to be bolstered by habit as well as by social sanction. And so that's why, interestingly, the Orthodox Jewish community, I'm just using them as an example, despite all the cultural pressures and technological advances, has continued to practice Sabbath to this very day. And everything will shut down from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday if you're in an Orthodox Jewish community. It's an ancient habit and one that when the community sanctions, you can get shamed or called out if you don't go along. I'm not suggesting that we're going to that. Don't, don't freak out. Uh, but nevertheless, it's why it is so secure and continues to be practiced in these tight-knit communities. The social sanction, the habit itself, is what is meant to communicate, stop, relax, just be quiet. Yet for the rest of us, though, we have a resting problem, right? Right? Uh, at least we have a problem with resting as a rhythm. What is our inability to rest for even 24 hours revealed about us? Okay, get this. God rested from all his labors, and yet we can't seem to. 
Because like the man and the woman in the garden, we want to be God. But here's the thing. God took a whole day off. So why can't we? The, the irony is we want to be God who rested after working for six days, but unlike God, we can't manage that. I mean, I kind of chuckled when I was thinking about that this week. The, the irony, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. I don't care how much work you got done this week. You did not complete the heavens and the earth. Okay? I mean, you, think, you might think you did. But this was God who finished the heavens and the earth and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, he what? He finished and he rested from all the work that he had done. It's crazy. Unlike God, we can't manage to rest. We can't manage to take a whole day off. So here's the lesson. Restlessness, that is our problem, has consequences. Spiritual and physical I don't have to tell you, American society's sleep patterns are awful. There is a multi-billion, that's billion with a B, industry, a year of over-the-counter and prescription sleep aids. We are willing to pay whatever the cost for a good night's sleep. Now, I sleep pretty great at home, but you've heard some of you about some camping trips that we take uh, on the Appalachian Trail or parts of it. I, I do not sleep well in a tent on the ground. So I take sleeping aids. Uh, Ambien, to be exact. It sometimes doesn't go well for me. But I'm willing to pay whatever the cost, including mockery from my friends the next day. If you want to know the story, just ask one of them. I'm not going to tell it publicly. For a good night's sleep. Okay? All kinds of chronic problems and impacts on our society as a result of this not being uh, a, a good habit for us. Impacts on us, impacts on our families, impacts on our jobs, because we're so restless. Justin Early says, we seem to have come to a point as a culture where we praise the acts of being inhuman as acts of being a great human. See, the core of our problem is a restless soul. Listen, your iPhone has a battery, yes, but as long as you keep the phone charged, as a general rule, it will go and go and go and go and go and go. Millions of operations every second. iPhones, however, don't have souls. Machines don't have bodies. They don't bear the image of God. And so the ability to work seven days a week and the rewards that come with it are actually causing us to work against our humanity. Yes, you might, as a result, have more money, but the restlessness will just keep you itching for more. We have a need to prove our value, our worth, whether it's to our organization, to our team, whatever it might be, right? We think we can work our way to significance. That is the work underneath the work. There's two characters from, from a television show. Their names are Bobby Axelrod and Chuck Rhodes. Now, some of you know the show I'm talking about. Uh, it's dark. And, you know, I'm not going to, I won't say that I'll endorse it necessarily. But I will say that it's a great character study in what this restlessness does to people. One is a financial hedge fund uh, entrepreneur. He founded this hedge fund. He's got billions and billions under management. The other is the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. One of them is driven by money. One of them is driven by power. 
And here's the thing that the show kind of unfolds for you. It's never enough. It's never enough. That is what restlessness does. Now, it's a TV show, but it never shows them sleeping. We're restless because we view our work as from us and for us, but the Bible actually teaches the opposite. In Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, we find out work is from God and the work we're given is for our neighbor. And until you view the work you do that way, whether it's changing diapers or changing oil, until you view it as a gift from God and that it exists to serve your neighbor, you'll be restless. So let's dig a little deeper. Because we discover that resting actually is the secret to, bring, to, to being free, not just free, but free to really uh, work, okay? So on page two of the Bible, the rhythm and design of work and rest is introduced. You have God working for six days, and then he rests on the seventh. And that same rhythm is even the way the week is structured to this day. There's no school on Sundays, right? You notice how the traffic is a little bit lighter a lot of businesses are closed, even in 2021. It continues to be the rhythm and the way that we go about structuring our week as a society. And if you're new to Christianity or unfamiliar with the Bible, let me say, I hope reading the beginning of the story, that is Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, hopefully it gives some context for why things are the way they are, even down to the way we count time. And as Christians, we believe it all comes from God for our good, and for his glory. But I hope that is helpful. You wonder why, why the world is the way it is. The first couple of pages of the Bible explain that. This rhythm is so important that we see God included in the Ten Commandments. And the, the uh, quote in the reading of the laws from is, uh, Exodus chapter 20, which is one place you find the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 5 is the other place where you find the Ten Commandments. But here's what's important and interesting. In Exodus we rest because God did. The example, if you go back in, in your worship folder and look, it'll say, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, etc., etc." because God worked for six days and rested on the seventh. In Deuteronomy 5, though, it's not printed for you, so you'd have to, you'll have to look back later. But in Deuteronomy 5, God says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy because you were slaves in Egypt. And so he ties rest to enslavement. He says, rest because you're no longer slaves. God liberated his people when they were slaves in Egypt. And when he ties the Sabbath to freedom from slavery, he is saying, anyone who overworks is a slave. A slave to, well, the need for success, to materialism, to exploitative employers, or maybe they are the employer who is exploiting. Anyone who cannot rest from work is a slave. And these slave masters, as the Israelites knew and would have remembered or recalled as they're fixing to go into the promised land, these slave masters will abuse you if you are not disciplined in the practice of Sabbath rest. Sabbath is a declaration of freedom. And whatever slave masters you are prone to, they will continue to abuse you unless you stop, unless you learn, unless you commit to this practice and declare that you're free. 
The Sabbath legislation in Israel was enacted after the exodus from Egypt. It was unique among world cultures at the time because here's what it did. This is just a little background because it's important to know what was driving all of this and what drives it for us. The Sabbath limited work, it limited profit-taking, exploitation, and economic production in general because every seventh day, no work could be done in the fields, and every seventh year, the field was to remain fallow and not be cultivated at all. A whole year, no work. Can you imagine? I mean, I could only if I won the lottery, right? But God said, no, this is how you're going to do it. And this surely meant that in the short run, Israel was less economically productive and prosperous than its neighbors, but it was a land of free people. And in the long run, deeply rested people are far more productive people. The Sabbath's a gift. It's a command, yes, absolutely. But it's a gift. Our God, our maker, our designer, he knows what we need more than we do. So his command to honor the Sabbath is a gift in and of itself. It's our Father saying, I know you. I know how you're wired. And this is my gift to you, to bless you. But we also need to think of Sabbath as an act of trust, right? To take Sabbath is to trust. God appointed the Sabbath to remind us he's working and resting. And so to practice Sabbath is a disciplined and faithful way to remember you are not the one who keeps the world running. You're not the one who provides for your family, not even the one who keeps your work projects moving forward. That's God underneath all that you're doing, working in and through you. And to pause from that is to say, oh, Father, I recognize that I'm not the one in charge. You are. Do you ever get to the end of the day and think, well, shoot. I mean, no matter how hard I try, I just can't seem to get it all done. Hmm, I'm the only one. Okay. Well, if you're there regularly, okay, as in daily or a couple times a week, right? The Sabbath habit is designed to, well, free you from that. Practicing Sabbath is supposed to make you feel like you can't get it all done because it's true. You can't get it all done. You never will get it all done. I mean, you can't help but laugh, right? Well, hopefully. Justin Early, again, the writer of the common rule, he says this, Sabbath protects us from acting out the lie that we can do it all. He goes on. He says, in the deep stillness of habitual Sabbath, the truth of the world begins to sink in. You are not necessary. That's the beauty of grace. In Sabbath, we realize that even the most important of us can disappear. And the world will go on. I mean, look, if Macaulay Calkin can make his family disappear, right? And the world went on, even as they tried to get back to Chicago and all the fumbles and bumbles of that whole story and here, here Kevin is just getting after it, defeating the wet bandits, right? The world went on. In Sabbath, we realize even the most important of us can disappear and we have to, we, we have to be reminded of that or else we begin to take ourselves and our work too seriously, way more seriously, this is part of the point I was making earlier, way more seriously than God even took his work. The Genesis account indicates that God rested from his work, at least partly, at least partly, to enjoy his creation. 
Throughout Genesis 1 and 2, we see God viewing all that he has made. And what does he say? Man, that's good. Man, that's good. And we also need to take time to simply enjoy the beauty of the world God has made. And so here, let me just encourage you. The main thing to do with beautiful landscapes or great music or some other form of the arts, for example, is to take it in and say, mm, that is so good. And when you do that, you do rest naturally. You're sort of forcing yourself. So do you have practices in your life that form this habit? Do you have a habit of enjoyment of what God has made? Sabbath allows us the opportunity for this. Unless you see the Sabbath as a gift, you won't find yourself enjoying it. So how do we get there? This is where I want to finish. You have to know the one who called himself the Lord of rest. If you look at the Hebrews passage there on your insert, Hebrews 4, the Hebrews passage draws this remarkable analogy between the gospel and the Sabbath. The writer says, verse 9, there remains then a rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God rested from his. So we learn to rest in the same manner that God did. When we find salvation through Jesus, we rest from the most debilitating work of all, the work of establishing our own worth through our efforts, the work of earning our own salvation, the rat race, right? Again, Justin Early, Sabbath is the essence of our salvation. We can rest because in the end, as Julian of Norwich put it, uh, an early church, uh, uh, church father, all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. We can rest because God has done all that needs to be done. Look back at the assurance of pardon. Again, these are, these are famous words. Uh, even if you're new to the Bible or new to Christianity, you may have heard these or seen them quoted somewhere. And in the assurance of pardon, this is what I want you to see. Jesus is inviting us to Sabbath with him. So if you come this morning and you want peace, you want a peace that no amount of effort will generate, come to Jesus. If you're so exhausted from trying to get it all done, moms, dads, for example, the daily rat race of work and parenting and cooking and cleaning, come to Jesus. If you want rest from being a workaholic or trying to gain status or achieve prominence through how much money you make, come to Jesus. The most striking thing to me about those two characters in that television show is they can't rest. They can't rest because they're trying to gain status or achievement through money or through power and it drives them and drives them and drives them and they never are full of joy or peace because they don't have Jesus. Jesus actually uh, did it all. He sacrificed everything he always knew when to say yes and when to say no. If anyone could have justified working seven days a week, it was him, right? But Jesus stayed up all night in the garden so you and I could sleep. Jesus said, it's finished on the cross so you and I could actually rest and be finished. He let the world break him. He endured a torment of a night of horrors with no peace so that you and I could have a peace that's beyond human comprehension or invention. You can't make this stuff up. So when you come under the easy yoke of Jesus, when you work from a place of rest, so to speak, you'll become a person who creates rest for others. 
And we find this great example in Mark chapter 3. Uh, and and this, is, uh, this is where I want to end. I didn't quote, or we didn't include it there, but the last statement Jesus makes in Mark chapter 2, because the Pharisees have once again gotten on to him and his disciples for doing something that they saw as wrong on the Sabbath, the last words he says in the chapter are, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then, we're still on the Sabbath, they go to the synagogue. And he goes into the synagogue, and the Pharisees have already given him a hard time. Uh, The issue was they were walking through the grain fields, and they saw his disciples plucking heads of grain to eat, and they said, "Uh, are you doing that on the Sabbath? And Jesus gives them an example from the Old Testament and, you know, shuts them up. (laughs) But now they go into the synagogue. And these guys are so wily that they're going to bait him into healing a man whose hand is withered. Did you hear that? They're trying to bait him into healing someone. So see, because the Sabbath was made for us, and because there remains a rest yet to be experienced fully for us, Jesus heals. He brings rest on the day of rest. The Sabbath was a day for him to preview this coming rest that awaits his people. And see, when heaven comes to earth, when everything is made new, when there are no withered hands, when there are no hungry disciples, when there are no demon-possessed, when there's no blind Bartimaeus, when there are no dead children, there will be no need for rest because rest will be permanent. And what he's doing in the Gospels throughout is bringing this rest often on the Sabbath. Also, I think, to just tick off the Pharisees. Probably not. That's If I was Jesus, that's what I would do. But he's not doing it that way, right? Not only that, though, listen, out of Jesus' rest, we become bringers of rest, you and I. So a day of rest in our context, Sunday, can be a day of, for example, serving the poor, feeding the hungry, visiting the sick or the lonely, uh, writing a letter to a missionary, serving overseas, volunteering in the jail. There's lots of ways to bring rest to others, to participate in in a preview of the new heavens and earth. And what happens when we gather together as the church, we gather to rehearse the gospel and hear it rehearsed. We rehearse it together as we sing, as we walk through our liturgy. We hear it rehearsed in the scriptures being read and proclaimed. And as we're reminded of the rest won for us by Jesus, we're sent out to bring rest. And so I would encourage you, embrace this Sabbath habit. And as you embrace it, Work to see others freed from the tyranny of work. Okay, listen, dads, give mom the afternoon or evening off. Older siblings, help your younger siblings with their homework instead of focusing on yours. If you go out to lunch, leave a huge tip. So maybe some pressure for working so many hours is lessened for the server. Bring rest. If you have received the rest of Jesus that he promises in those incredibly relaxing words. If you can't help but sigh a deep relief when you read Matthew 11, I don't know what else in the Bible is going to do it. Come to me if you're labored and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I just want to call every hospital in the country and read those words over the loudspeaker to the, to the, to the doctors and, and nurses and, and janitorial staff and everyone that's working so hard. As you rest from your work, enter God's work. As Jesus says in Mark chapter 3, verse 4, look there. 
He said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? The answer is obvious. As you leave here, seek to do good. Seek to save life. Seek to bring rest as you have received from Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we come to you, the one whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light, the one who invited us in the first place because you had won a rest for us that is beyond our comprehension, beyond anything we can work up, beyond anything that we will ever get to, no matter how hard, no matter how many hours we put in, we'll never get there. And yet you have said, come to me. I'm the one who brings a true rest. Learn from me. Oh, Father, uh, even as we read on the first couple of pages of the Bible, after all the amazing work that you had spent the first week in existence or the week that existed doing and remarking on how good it was, you stopped, you drank it all in, and you said, man, that's so good. And would you help us, by the power of the Spirit, help us to relax, to do the same thing, to rest from our labors as a sign of trusting in you and as a sign of declaring that we are not slaves, but we're free. Make us free. And who you set free, as you say, they are free indeed. Come, Lord Jesus, and do that. And we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. The great part about that song is is that we are responding to his prompting. So he has come to us. He says, come to me, right? He's inviting us into what he's already created and made for us out of sheer grace. Uh, So what a great savior that we serve uh, and what a great savior who has promised to give us a true rest. So whatever, you're, whatever you came out of into this room, you're going out of into the world and a new week. Uh, but recognize, hear the echo of that song. Out of all these kinds of things, Jesus, I come into what it is that you have provided for me, right? Into thy blessed will to abide. So may we abide together as we leave here. Uh, and may this benediction be kind of the cementing of all that we have said into your heart and soul uh, this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.